Testament. St. John chapter 13, verse number one. And we're going to begin our reading there. An interesting thing happened to me. I say happened to me. But an interesting scenario that came up. And I'm going to share this with you because here's what I believe and I know to be a fact. That when things happen in our life, they don't just happen just to be happened. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, right? And so, uh, a few months back, probably about, I'm going on about six months ago, uh, our trash hauler uh, that picked up trash in our neighborhood went bankrupt. Uh, and so they stopped um, uh, picking up our trash because they went out of business. So we had to rush and find another uh, trash contractor to pick up uh, the trash in our neighborhood. So, uh, we were fortunate enough to get one out of Minden, uh, and so they uh, came and got all of our addresses and they began to build the neighborhood. So, uh, well, let me back up. They were billing everybody, but I never got a bill. And so all of a sudden, I, I thought to myself, in my rear, I, said, I said, you know what? I don't think they've ever billed me uh, for this trash pickup. And it's, it had been two or three rounds of billing that it came through. Now, think about this for a second. They're picking up my neighborhood. They're picking up my trash every day and I'm not having to pay for it now my question to you is what do you do in that situation huh because I don't know if they ever would have caught it because the guys on the trash truck probably don't know that they're just picking up the trash but you know, I said, ah, devil, this is a little test. I see you sending my way, but you know, you ain't, you ain't finna get me to, uh, to, uh, uh, to, to ruin my integrity over a little uh, uh, $52 money every three month uh, trash bill. So what is what I did. I called the folks. I said, you know what? Uh, you guys haven't billed me. I haven't gotten a bill from you guys since y'all started picking up our trash roughly six to eight months ago. And they didn't even, they, 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 they looked around. They, didn't, they did, sure enough, they didn't even have my address on there. And uh, but the other day I got a bill in the mail <laughs> from the trash folks, and you know what? That was a test, and not that I ever even thought about not paying them, but just that I just thought, you know, just for a fleeting second, the thought came to my mind was, well, you know, they may not ever bill me, <laughs> but it was a test. Everybody say it was a test. Yeah. Amen. So y'all got those little tests going on in your life all the time. And you may not even know it. When the cashier gives you too much change and you know it, you recognize it. When you get to your car and you warmed it up, getting ready to go out that parking lot, something hits you and say, they gave me $75 too much change back. And it's raining too. <laughs> Are you going to turn around and go back in that store and give that cashier that $75? That's what I want to know. And guess what? That's what God wants to know too. So everybody say it's just a test. Now, look, look at this 13th chapter, guys. We, we're continuing our series that we've been dealing with, preparing for greater. I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that God is equipping the Elizabeth Baptist Church in Benton, Louisiana, for greater impact, greater outreach, greater transformational power in the community in which we serve. And part of that getting prepared for greater involves us doing relationships better, right? Everybody say relationships. Relationships and how to do relationship on a greater level is critically important to our fulfilling God's ordained destiny for this church. 
Can I get a witness? He left us here. He saved us so that we could have impact in the lives of others. So we got to get better at relationship. We got to get greater, amen, in our relationship building process. Now, look at look, look at verse one. The text says here before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. Verse number two says this. It was time for supper and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Verse three. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Verse four says, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist. Verse in the next verse says, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Okay, talking about preparing for greater. Did a relationship. This is the fourth part of this. Now, I told you as we go through this process that one of the things I wanted to do before we jumped into the actual uh, teaching part on how we uh, get better relationship is is that I want to get us to know us. I want us to take a reflective look at ourselves. So we're talking about uh, knowing yourself, because if you don't really know who you are, if you don't know what makes you tick, if you don't know your little idiosyncrasies, your little habits, your little ways, and, and are honest about that, it's going to prevent you from being uh, the, the, the relational type person that God needs you and I to be in order to share his message with those who are not saved. So you got to get to know yourself first. You got to know if you're cranky in the morning. Hello? You got to know if, 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 if you are that type of person who will just pull away and not connect and engage if, if, if something don't go your way. You got to know you. Everybody said, touch yourself. I got to know myself. Now watch this. So part of knowing ourselves we, 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 as we start this series was we understood that there were certain things or wounds that many of us have that are preventing us from being very relational. Some of y'all know uh, that, that right now you really, when, it, when I talk about relationship building, that's not your favorite subject. Because you kind of want to do life the way you want to do it, when you want to do it, how you want to do it. And if God gives you a directive to connect with somebody who you don't like particularly well, you rebuff against that. Hello? And so, so, so God has to get us to understand who we are so that we can be honest about who we are so that we can connect with people on a relational level that gives us the ability to pour uh, 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 God's love onto the, to the inside of them. Are y'all with me today? So we said, remember we said a wound. A wound is any unresolved issue where a lack of closure adversely impacts and shapes the direction and dynamic of a person's life right now. In other words, there are things that all of us have had happen in our past, in our, in our upbringing, in our early years, adult years, or even in our later adult years. There are things that have happened that, 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 that were not resolved that's now affecting how we relate to people right now. Can I get a witness? Some of y'all, if I were to come and ask you to borrow some money because you've been burned so many times, you'd just start running away. No, 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 I don't lend money out. Huh? Because you've been burned before. Right? And that, that thing is still deep down on the inside of you. Amen? Because you see that person, they know they owe you. You know they owe you. Ain't nobody talking about it. Everybody say wounds. 
So we have all we have wounds of all various kinds that we have to learn how to deal with because if we don't deal with them effectively, it'll it'll hinder our ability to be relational the way God desires for us to be relational. Now, again, last week, uh, not last week, uh, we, had a, we had a blessed time last week when our guest speaker did an awesome job, didn't he? Come on. To be or not to be? That's the question. And that's something that still resonates with me. But the week prior to that, we talked about the father wound, right? This morning, I want to talk about the mother wound. Everybody say the mother wound. Now, listen to what the mother wound is. Some of y'all, you guys have been through men's fraternity have heard this before. But this is, the mother wound uh, can be uh, a wound that exists with males and females, but in particular, the mother wound has a very profound effect on sons. So I'll talk a little bit from that perspective, but, but know and understand that it could be a man from a, from, from a daughter's perspective also. But what is a mother wound? A mother wound is a, an unhealthy emotional relationship with mom that causes a son in particular to either be threatened by the influence of women later on in life or to over-identify and become submissive to the influence of women. That mother wound, unhealthy emotional relationship. What are some of the characteristics of that mother wound? Okay? Okay. First thing is this wound is not blatant, but it's subtle. Everybody say subtle. Something that's subtle means you don't really notice it uh, that much until it actually becomes a big major problem. The wound is blatant. It's not blatant, it's subtle. The next thing about this wound is, it's not one of abuse, neglect, or absenteeism, but it's a wound disguised. Everybody say disguised. It looks like love and care. Okay? It's disguised as love and care. Look at this next one. This is not a wound of inattention, but overattention. Everybody say overattention. This wound looks like love, but it sure enough feel like control. Hear me, mamas. This wound, come on, looks like love, but it feels like control. Any mamas out there still trying to control your children? They're 45 years old. They're 23 years old, and you're still trying to decide stuff for them. Can I get a witness? This wound looks like love, but it feels like control. This wound is so powerful, it can wrongly shape and warp the masculine mindset for years to come. The mother wound. The mother wound. The mother wound oftentimes will prevent men in particular, but ladies also, but men in particular, from being very relational the way God would desire for us to be. This wound often begins with an absent or distant father. And so the, 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 the mother wound, everybody say the mother wound. The effects of this mother wound. Men with a mother wound will often flow to one or two extremes in how they relate to women. Number one, they become dominant males. In other words, they're too controlling towards women. How many of y'all are married to a controlling man? Oh, don't raise your hands. Don't you dare raise your hand. I do not want to fight to break out in the foyer. <laughs> Some of y'all, if your husband raised your hand, you ain't going to let him get the door. Dominant males, too controlling towards women, or you have soft males. In other words, they become passive and submissive toward women. The mother wound. The mother wound will keep us from being relational. So you got to know yourself. Am I carrying this wound? Four types of moms that contribute to the mother wound. Listen to this carefully. Because moms, I want y'all to hear this and, and, and understand this. Four types of moms that contribute to the mother wound. Uh, the unintentional mom. That means she's not even aware of her son's need to connect with other men and to make a healthy break with her. 
She, she's not aware of that because she's just loving on her son. That's my baby. And I'm going to make sure my baby's taken care of no matter what. The unintentional mom, she, she's not aware of her son's need to connect with men, other godly men, okay, and make a healthy break with her. The hurting mom, the hurting mom, she has lost emotional connection with her husband, and so she makes up for this by over-connecting with her son or with her daughters. She's all in their life because there's a distance there between her and, and her husband or the child's father. The next type of mom is the unwilling-to-release mom. Hear me carefully. Oftentimes, these moms have dominant personality, and they simply love to be in control. They want to be in charge of stuff. Now, they won't come out and say that, but they just say, well, get where I handle this. That, 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 that uh, unwilling-to-release mom, and then you have the fill-in-the-gap mom. That, means, that, that mom that just fills in, she, it leads to an over-connection and dependence if the son doesn't have strong male mentors to guide him. In other words, she's just filling in the gap where the, where the husband is absent. All four of those type moms, ultimately, uh, if we're not careful, if we don't have proper balance, will uh, we'll create a, 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 a mother wound in the life of a son and or a daughter, but particularly the son. A healthy relationship with mom requires two significant breaks. Let's go to Genesis, the second chapter, right quick. Two significant breaks have to take place, amen, um, to avoid that mother wound. First of all, there must be a, quote, a physical separation from the mom at birth to end that oneness that began at conception. Because, again, whenever a child comes out of the mother's womb, they have to cut what they call the, what, umbilical cord. That umbilical cord, amen, uh, those nine months that mom carried you, I mean, everything the mom ate, you ate. If it was hot for the mom, it was hot for the baby, right? Because there was a oneness there. There was a connection. In Genesis chapter number two, I think it's verse number 24 I want to go to. And let's look at this right quick. Glory to God. Are y'all still tracking with me? The text says here in Genesis 2 and 24, so there got to be a, a literal physical connection. But there must also be an emotional separation from mom when a boy transitions into manhood, when a daughter transitions into womanhood. There got to be an emotional, amen, uh, separation there. If, if you're going to, to, to not have that mother wound affecting how you do relationships today. Look at what the text says in Genesis 2 24. It says, this explains why a man leaves what? His father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united what? The two are united to one. So this is talking about, uh, you know, how, how, how man at the time that he uh, 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 gets to the point where he's going to marry someone, he has to make a separate, a, 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 a leaving and a cleaving has to take place. Leaving the comfort, the care, and the support of that family home with father and mother there. And now I'm cleaving to my new wife. And the relationship priority has changed. But what happens in a lot of our families, mom don't like that new relationship priority. Mom has been accustomed to controlling things. Mom has been accustomed to telling you to do this and you do that. Mom has been accustomed to telling you, well, I don't like that. Don't buy that. 
And now that there's a leaving and a cleaving that has to take place, if you don't deal with this wound effectively, it'll cause discomfort, amen, in the relationship development process that God desires for us to be involved and engaged in. Can I get a witness up in here? Jesus, amen, uh, had conflict with his mom. Go with me right quick. Let me show this right here. Go, go, go with me. Um, and let's look at Jesus' mom. That's some relational clarity has to take place, social clarity has to take place, spiritual clarity has to take place, and then we'll have a healthy ending with the, when this thing all wraps up. Go with me right quick to Mark, the third chapter, verse number 20 and 21. And then we're going to skip down to verse 31 through 35. Mark, chapter number three. Jesus had to set some boundaries with his mama. Now, I'm, what, you say, bro, Pastor, why are you talking about this? Because we, we're dealing with the one another's, right? Because, again, we, we, we told you that uh, several times in the New Testament, the phrase one another, one to another, each other is repeated. And the writers remind us over and over again to love one another. We already dealt with that one. Accept one another. We dealt with that one. Today we're going to talk about serving one another. All right. But he goes on talks about uh, comfort one another, forgive one another, honor one another, bear one another's burdens, encourage one another, pray for one another and be kind to one another. All those one another's. Amen. Point to the fact that we, we need to do all those things because we're going to be in relationship together in the church. He's talking to the church here and it's, it, it boggles my mind the ineffective way that we as members of the body of Christ tend to interrelate with one another. And if we're going to be the type of church that was described in the book of Acts when the early church turned the world upside down, when the early church, amen, a man get up to preaching, 3,000 souls come to Christ in that one setting. When, if, if we're going to experience that kind of revival, if we're going to experience that kind of impact, we're going to have to get better at relationship building. And you can't do that if you wounded yourself and haven't dealt with all your scars. So I'm a pastor is going to try to help you Pastor's going to try to help all of us because all of us got to get better, right? And if we don't deal with the wounds, we don't know ourselves. Then how can we properly embrace the relationship building process that God desires for us to embrace? We won't do it because we haven't dealt with the wounds that we have. Watch this in in, in Mark, the third chapter, verse number 20. Can you all pop it up right quick, guys? Mark, chapter three, verse number 20. The text says, now, one time Jesus entered a house. And the crowds began to gather again. They were always following Jesus, right? Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. Wow. Listen, uh, it's good to work in ministry, but, but make sure you find time to, to, to eat. I'm going to find time to eat. How many of y'all out there? Like... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Some of y'all, some of y'all need to eat. Some of y'all, when y'all get hungry, you get mean. Let me see the hands of y'all that get mean when you get hungry. Yeah, look at y'all. Look at you. Yeah, yeah. I ain't got time to talk right now. All right, listen. When his family heard what was happening, talking about Jesus' family, when his family heard what was happening, crowds coming around him, he's in the house teaching all this. When, it, when it, his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. What did they say about Jesus? He's out of his mind. He's gone crazy. Now, guys, this was his family saying this. This is not somebody, some stranger who's just observing him. His own family saying, he's out of his mind. They came to take him away. But Jesus, guys, was having impact. Go to the 31st verse of that very same chapter, Mark 3, verse number 31. Jesus had to set some boundaries, right? 
Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. Now watch this. Jesus is ministering, right? Now some of y'all couldn't have handled this. Because if your mama rolled up while you were in the middle of doing God's business, you, you would have dropped God's business and went to see what mama wanted. Now, it, it was all, we already discovered in the first part of the chapter that mama and them were kind of off base, right? Because they were, they were coming to get him because they, what? they thought he was crazy. I mean, Jesus' family. Some of your family, when you start doing word on a daily basis, when you start living out this word, amen, in front of them, when you start living it in the workplace, when you start living it, amen, in your home, in your neighborhood, some of your own family members, because they're not accustomed to you living this word, are going to think you're going crazy because you're talking about Jesus and doing what he says. Average Christian comes to church, but they don't allow the church and what they learn to impact their lives. So when you start letting the word have impact in your life, some of your family members, when you stop cussing around them, when you stop cheating them, when you stop, amen, letting them get under your skin and you're going off and now you started, you start talking about, hey, I'm going to bless you. Amen. God bless you. Hallelujah. When you start saying it, they think something is wrong with you. You lost your mind. You read too much Bible. Let me tell you something. I tell you before, I want your mind to be changed. I want you to be transformed. Amen. I want I, I want you to allow the word of God to transform your traditional way of thinking. Don't let your family heritage determine how you live and view life. Let the word of God be the predominant force of your thinking. So 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 they, now, mind you. You can't forget this now. You can't read this in isolation because the first part of the chapter we discovered that they, can we flip back with me? Go, go, go back to, uh, to, to, to verse number 20. Go, go back to verse number 20 right quick. 20 and 21. I don't, I don't want you to miss this. Text says, one time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. Look at the next verse. When his family heard what was happening, what were they trying to do? They were trying to take him away because what, what they said. He's out of his mind. He's gone crazy. Now let's skip down to verse number 31. They still think he's crazy, y'all. In verse number 31, watch this. The text says, then Jesus' mama came. Mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with him. Look at the next verse. Let's read. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Verse 33 says, Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mother and my brothers. <laughs> Verse 35 says what? And anyone who does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus was trying to illustrate a point here that, that his, his, his priorities, amen, uh, is to fulfill the mandate that God had desired for him to fulfill when he, he birthed him in a manger in Bethlehem. He's here. He said, I have a priority. My, I got to be about my father's business. Because they were coming thinking they were going to take him away and, and take him somewhere and put him away because he had lost his mind. But Jesus knew that he was doing the master's business. So, so, so in order for this wound to be dealt with, you got to have some relational clarity. Go, go with me to, to Luke, the second chapter. Because many times we don't realize that we do stuff because that's been inbred in us and we we are we are following out the mama's expectations rather than God's expectations. 
Now, I love, I love my mama. I'm sure all of y'all love your mother. And some of y'all may have had a, a, a less than ideal relationship with your mom. Some of y'all might have had a great relationship with your mom. So whether it was less than ideal, whether it was great, this, this wound still can exist. As a matter of fact, oftentimes it does exist with that mama who loves you so much that they, they'll, go, they'll go to bat for you anytime you get in trouble. That mama's there. But what that mama has failed to realize is that, that, that especially for a young man, there has to be a separation. He'll never be fully a full grown Christian man who walking in the ways of God if you are dipping in the middle of his stuff all the time. Okay, mothers. So mothers, don't get upset with me today. I'm just trying to help you help him. And I'm trying to help him help you because all of us need some help. Can I get a witness? Look at Luke 2. Okay, so relational clarity. Watch this. Luke 2, verse number 43. Uh, let's. Move down a little bit and we'll keep moving. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents dis- didn't miss him at first. Keep reading. Uh, because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their, re- what, their relatives. All right. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. The text says three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting around the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. I, like, the first thing I want to I, I want I want you to understand, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jesus' parents were not neglectful because some of y'all said, how in the world did they forget their child? Now, he was about 12 years old at this time, which is on the cusp of adulthood from from a Jewish uh, 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 standpoint. OK, he was 12, about 12 years old this time. All right. And so it was customary for 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 uh, whenever there was traveling going on, they would travel in groups. And generally, you know, they, they did that for safety reason, because many times they would have the women and, and children up front and the males on the backside of that caravan. So it, it, it would not be uh, unusual for the dad, Joseph, to be in the back and the mama be in the front. And, and Joseph thinking the mama got him and, and the mama thinking Joseph got him. And y'all ever left, left the children in the church. Now, Bill, Bill Parker's going to come. Bill Parker's coming to preach for us. Uh, for our um, Thanksgiving and praise service. And we're going to give Bill a hard time. So y'all make sure y'all tell Bill I reference him in my sermon. Because there was one time when Bill them just ran off and left their children up here. One thought, male thought he had him. He thought male had him. And the child is up here just running around looking. I think it was Nate. One of them, they, they left up here in the church. So, 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 so when this caravan traveled, it would not have been unusual for, for Jesus to be hanging back with his dad or up there with his mom. But we see here, he didn't go with them. All right, watch. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Next verse says what? His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother, mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. Look at verse number 49. Look at what Jesus said. Because he's, he's, he's bringing relational clarity, amen, uh, to his mom right here because he understands that he has an assignment to do. He understands he's been, he, he, he's been brought to this earth to deliver mankind. Amen. And he can't let mama and daddy get in the way of doing the master's business. So there's some relational clarity going on here. But why do you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Don't you know I must be about my father's business? Verse number 50 says this, but they didn't understand what he meant. Jesus is now, amen, getting to this point to where his journey, amen, is beginning to, uh, uh, to be solidified in what God had called him. Now look at the next verse right quick. It says, then he returned to Nazareth with them. Now watch this now. And was obedient to them. Everybody say he wasn't hard-headed. 
He was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. She remembered what he said. Okay, He, he was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. 52, right quick. It says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in statue and in favor with God and all the people. So he's, 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 he's clarifying the relationship now because there's going to come a point in time when he's got to do, amen, what he's been sent to this earth to do. So there's a relational clarity. Now go, go, to, go back. If you go back to John, the second chapter, verse number two, let's go to right quick. John chapter number two, glory to God. Verse one through four, right quick. John chapter two, verse one through four. The text says, the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Canaan in Galilee. Jesus' mothers were there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The text says this, the wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told them they have no more wine. Dear, dear woman, that's not our problem. Now some of y'all said, Woo, was Jesus talking strong to his mom? He says, dear woman, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. Now, now watch this. He, he says, my time has not yet come. What Jesus understood was his time to reveal who he was as the Messiah was not quite yet. But yet we have his, his mom coming in and asking him, amen, to, 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 to do something about the situation. Because it, it, it would be very um, uh, unhospita- unhospitable to run out of the wine at a, at a wedding celebration. Okay? In this culture, Right? If you're getting married today, run out of wine. Don't even bring wine, okay? I'm telling you right now. But I'm talking about in this culture here. I want you to remain sober. But he's, he's giving social clarity here because he understands that, that and he, y'all know he goes on and turns water to wine, right? Y'all understand it, right? But what he's doing is he's letting his mom know, again, he's, he's relational clarity. I got to be about my father's business. My time is not yet to be revealed, right quick. And then we have sp- spiritual clarity. Go to Matthew, the 12th chapter, right quick. See, guys, this wound has to be dealt with. Some of y'all right now are suffering because of an unhealthy relationship with your mother. And you're not 18 or 19. You're, you're in your 40s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, because you never... Maybe your relationship was not good with your mom. Or maybe you had a, a strong, overbearing mom. And, and now you can't even make decisions without consulting mama. You consult your mama before you consult your husband. Everybody said that ain't good. Because when it comes to relationship priority, it's first of all, you and your relationship with God is the number one priority. You got to develop that relationship first. And then if you are married, it's the husband-wife relationship. Not the husband and mama relationship. Are y'all following me? And so, and not the, not the parent or mother and the child relationship. Hello? Mom, your relationship with your child does not trump your relationship with your husband. Can I say it again? Mom, your relationship with your children does not take precedent over your relationship with your husband. Because if you do it the way God designed it, come on, your child's stay at your home is temporary. But your stay with your husband should be permanent. Children are designed to be birthed into the earth realm, nurtured, developed, help get them saved, 
put them through school and they're designed to move out. That's the way it's supposed to go. Now, I understand extenuating circumstances come up. I understand that things happen. And, and, and you'd be a poor mother and poor father if you didn't give some temporary relief to your children. If, 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 if they got to come back for a little while, then they ought to be able to come back for a little while. But at the same time, it should be a little while. You should have a plan. Because a mama who, who is a controlling mama will, will, will just, she'll be just glad to have that for the rest of her days. But it's not designed to go that way. As Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside asking to speak to him. Look, are y'all with me? Look at verse number 47. It says, someone said, told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside and they want to speak to you. Here we go again. Jesus said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? It's the same sister. I'm going to reemphasize. Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and my brother. He was saying, "Is I, I have an assignment to do. Now, now, now the spiritual clarity is coming into place here because what God has assigned for me to do, then I, I got to be about my father's business. I can't allow my family to disrupt me from doing what God told me to do. Are y'all still with me today? And so we see, go to John in 19 chapter, we see a healthy in him because Jesus was not disrespectful to his mom. He, he understood what his assignment was. He understood that, that if his mom, mom could have, amen, the seven members and his mom and brothers came, they were coming to take Jesus away and to prevent him from doing what God had called him to do. Don't ever allow a family member, amen, uh, to pull you away from doing what God told you to do. Now, understand this family is important. Understand this, that I believe that ministry is a team effort. And, and, and it should never be uh, 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 the ministry versus your spouse. You should be doing ministry together. Are y'all with me today? We should be doing ministry together. Look at Matt, uh, John 19, verse 25. Standing near the cross were, were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. Verse 7, when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, which is John, he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. Pointing to John. What he's doing there is he's letting her know, listen, I, even though I am leaving this earth with you, I'm going to connect you with somebody who will, who, will, who will be like a son to you. Text says, and he said to his disciple, uh, his disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. John took her, Jesus' mother, in his home. Jesus, as he was hanging on the cross, amen, was taking care of his mom. So, so, so there's nothing wrong in the world with taking care of your mom. That's a good thing to do. But we also got to make sure that this relationship, that there's not a wound there that's binding you and preventing you from being the relational person that God has designed for you to be. So how, what, what are some things that, let me give a few things, not on your outline here, but some suggestions for healing this wound. If you're going to heal that mother wound, you know if you got it. Amen. Uh, if you, well, maybe some people don't know because it, 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 it looks like love, but it feels like control. Hello. So we got to start with an understanding that breaking mom's over involvement is good for you and it's good for her. If your mom is over involved in your life and you're an adult. Uh, it's, 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 it's good to take advice. I, I know it's getting quiet. because Some of y'all aren't used to this kind of preaching. And some is particularly uh, in, in our communities of faith and, and even in our communities, uh, predominant African-American communities. The mother was supreme. I, how many of y'all remember in school? A person can come up and talk about your daddy and you just keep on moving. But let them say something about your mama. It was on there, wasn't it? You didn't ask no questions. You just jumped into them. 
because the 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 because of the 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 the, the strong bond that was there in, in in our community that that was something that you just did not do. You didn't talk about anybody's mama. Are y'all with me today? So so so. But again, uh, we got to start with understanding that that it's good to have a healthy separation between mom and particularly son. Okay, because authentic manhood, authentic. Womanhood is impossible without that healthy break. They have the separation. Recognize that your ultimate goal is to become a person whose vision is fixed on what God thinks and not on what mom thinks. Let me say it again. Your ultimate goal, amen, is to is to become a person whose vision is fixed on what God thinks, not on what mom thinks. And, and, and here's the thing. Stop complaining about mom. Stop struggling with mom. Amen. Set you a plan in place to, to properly deal with mom, especially if you're married. This is important. Uh, I've said this before. Uh, husbands, um, if you have a mom who's over-involved and over-indulged, it's critically important for your wife to know that you're going to protect her against your family when they come against her. Now, I'm not talking about in a, in a negative uh, sort of way. I'm saying there has to be a separation there. Okay, let me ask you a question. How many of y'all have talked about your, your brother-in-law, sister-in-law before to your sister or brother? Don't even raise your hand. Because I know you're out there. Hello? And, and if you have rela- proper relationship priority, you'll know and understand that that's not healthy, that's not right. Because if, if you if the, if you leave and cleave, then you got to protect. Now again, I'm not talking about your foolishness. I'm not talking about you doing, you know, just crazy off the wall stuff and then expect nobody to say anything about it. As born again believers, I, if you are a born again believer and we're in, in the body of Christ together, when you get off track or I get off track, we ought to be able to speak in each other's life and say it's time to get back on track. But what I'm talking about is, uh, as a general rule. That relationship priority has to be in place. And if you're going to deal with that mother wound, that spouse uh, who's you you can't let your spouse deal with it. You got to deal with it because your spouse deal with it's going to cause contention. Amen. But you as especially as a husband have to have to learn how to to be godly and to make sure there's a healthy separation there. Y'all with me today? So when you have a mother wound, it can help you. It can prevent you from being relational. Some of y'all don't have a good relationship with your mama. Maybe you don't even talk to her. And that's affecting you whether you, whether you admit it or not. And so you got to deal with that wound because it's going gonna, it's gonna to prevent you from being relational. It's going to prevent you from being that person that God called you to be. All right. Now let's get down to the, 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 this, this last part of this message. We're going to talk about serving one another. So maybe you're saying, I don't have that mother wound. Some of you do. Some of you might not even been aware of it. But it, it affects a lot of people's lives. And so you got to know yourself. You got to know if this is affecting how I do, how I do life. Get you a plan together and address that issue in a loving, God-honoring way. And get, and get some wise counsel on how to approach that, okay? Are y'all with me? But again, don't ask your spouse to get involved. It's you. It's your mama. You got to deal with that. Quit trying to get your wife to do it for you, husband. And quit trying to get your husband to do it for your wife. That's your mama. Everybody say, that's my mama. So let the Lord help you deal with your mama. Amen? Now, go to John 13 with me right quick. So Jesus had relational clarity, social 
clarity, spiritual clarity, and it, it resulted in a, in a healthy ending because John took in his mother and cared for her. So Jesus didn't have a problem with his mama. He was just clarifying some things. Everybody say some stuff needs to be clarified. Now we get back to this, this, this very familiar passage of scripture in John 13. Watch this. Uh, this is um, a passage that many of you, have been, if you've been in Sunday school for any period of time, you've studied this, right? The text says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Next verse says what? It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon's character, to betray Jesus. He says Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe and wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Now, again, guys, when we look at this, this is, Jesus is giving us an example. We're talking about serving one another now, because, again, you, you will not be able to serve other believers if you don't deal with the wounds in your own life. But it's important for us to deal with the wounds because Jesus tells us to serve one another. We're commanded. And now he's given us an example of what it means to serve. Now, just from a historical and cultural standpoint, look at what's happening. The host, normally the host would provide a basin of water and not only a basin of water, but he would provide a servant at the door so that the guests could have their feet clean before entering the house. Okay? That was customary during this time. Because again, we said they didn't have asphalt or concrete roads, so they were dusty roads and they wore sandals. How many of y'all ever wore sandals outside that was in a dusty ground? You get sand and dirt all between your toes, right? Now, not only were they, uh, the, these folks, you know, when they came into a house, not only were they with their feet dirty from, from walking with those open show, open toes, open, open sandals on the dusty roads. But it was, their, it was their custom to recline whenever they had dinner. I think I shared this with y'all before. They would lay down on their side, on their elbow like this, with their feet going that way. And then you had the other person, I don't want to lay down because I may not can't get it back up, okay? But can somebody, who's very flexible here? Uh, brother, get, uh, come on, baby. Yeah, you come on, come on. Come on, come on, come on. Real quick, real quick. Come on, Zuri. I know you're not bashful. All right, here we go. Help me out, Zuri. All right. Now, Zuri, I want you to just come right here. I want you to lay down on your side like this. Put your hand on your elbow like this. Now, see, this is this is the customary prop uh, for whenever they were eating dinner. Okay, they would they would have a table that was low to the ground and they would sit down. Now, the other person, I'm gonna try to do this right quick. Okay, so the other person is laying down too. Got me? Now, if Zuri's feet stink, we got a problem. (laughs) Are y'all with me? Because I'm sitting there eating grapes and stuff. What should I smell? Thank you, Zuri. Give her a hand. That's how they sat down. At dinner, so now, so 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 so, whenever you came to a, a person's house, they would usually have a servant there uh, and a basin of water to wash your feet. Can I get a witness? And so, so, so your feet were visible, and, and, and so you're right there close to them, and they also smellable. So it need to be clean, right? 
And if that person knew that they were coming for dinner, they gave even more attention to washing their feet because they knew they, they even washed their feet more than they did their hands because they knew their feet were going to be up there by somebody's elbow just like that. Okay, are y'all with me today? And if a host wasn't available, like in this particular instance, then the first ones in the room would usually make provision for the washing of people's feet. Amen. Are y'all with me? Just like if you were to be the first one in the room, you go turn the light on, right? Maybe set the table out, put the chairs out. It was customary for the ones who got there first to be the one to, to, to wash the feet. Well, when, there, when there's no host or no servant available, someone would volunteer to do this to take that role of the servant and do the foot washing. But on this night, everybody say this night, the one night before Jesus was to go to the cross, not one disciple stooped to take the servant's role and to wash the feet. He's getting ready to, to do something that he was sent to this world to do, to ordain to do, but yet we have disciples. And you know why they couldn't do it? Look at their mindset. The, the, they had a prideful intention. You go to Luke 22, you'll see that they were arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Here, the Savior is preparing to go to the cross, and here these dudes are arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Everybody say pride. So none of them, amen, uh, uh, took the time to do that. Jesus had to be disappointed in the pride that they showed by not getting up and volunteering to be the one to go get the basin and wrap the towel and, 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 and wash the feet. So Jesus got to do it. And, and here's the thing about these disciples. The disciples really shouldn't have had any basis for pride, y'all. They were common fishermen. They really, you know, before Jesus came along and called them out and began to do work of ministry with them, they were not necessarily the, 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 the person in town who you would go to for anything of significance. As a matter of fact, that's why the Bible says Jesus, Jesus chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He took common everyday men. So now these common everyday men, too prideful to get up and go wash feet. Think about that for a second. They, they, they should have been the, the last one to, 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 to withhold their service. Amen. But it's amazing what happens when a little recognition comes your way. See, they were walking with Jesus now and people were knowing, yeah, you've been with Jesus. And now they're getting a little recognition because they're walking with the master because all these crowds were, 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 were rushing in uh, to get to Jesus. And here you are having the disciples. You remember on some occasion they told Jesus, send these folk away. We ain't got enough food to feed them. But Jesus, amen, who's our bread in a starving land, is one who's able to, 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 to do exceedingly abundant above all we can ask or think, guys. So, so disciples were prideful in their intention, but Jesus is now showing them, amen, uh, the way to do it by way of example. So, so let, look at Jesus' genuine motivation here, guys, as we get ready to go uh, close this up. He had compassion for his disciples. Look, look, look back at John 13 and 1 right quick, amen. Jesus, he was the, now think about this for a second, he was the honored guest. It would be like they were holding a banquet for you, but you had to serve all the tables and wait on the table at your banquet. That was in your honor. If they, if they threw a birthday party for you and you had to cook all the food for your birthday party, or you had, if, you had, if, if you had to, if you were the, 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 the guest of honor to be rewarded for accomplishing some great feat, but you had to put all the thing together and, and also be the MC of the program, be everything uh, that, that it took to get the thing together, that's not the way you're supposed to do it, right? 
Here Jesus is, the guest of honor, but him as the guest of honor, he's getting up and doing the servant's role. Now what this tells us is, I believe, Jesus is trying to tell us, we don't ever get so high in your opinion of yourself that you won't stoop low to serve others. Don't ever get so, so, so high on who you are and don't ever think that your name is so great that you can't do the menial tasks that need to be done, amen, to help serve one another in the body of Christ. I've told y'all before, and I've said it again, it doesn't matter to me what you do out there. You may be the vice president of this, you may be running this division over here, you may, own, you may be a billionaire, but when you step inside the doors of this church, all that goes away. You are a servant just like the rest of us up in here. Can I get a witness up in here? So you, if you're going to be that private, take your little pride for yourself right back out that door and you come back in here and we're going to keep coming. I want you to keep coming, but that pride got to go. You got to be willing to wash some feet. Touch your name and say, neighbor, are you willing to wash some feet? Here Jesus is. Think about this. The guest of honor. He stoops to wash their feet. But I don't see anywhere in the text where anybody offered to wash his feet. Do you? The guest of honor, he served, but yet his disciples in their, in their prideful mindset didn't offer to wash his feet. Two, two, two sincere motivations prompted Jesus to take the road of serving. I think, number one, he had compassion for his disciples. The Bible says this before the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the what? To very end. He, he, he says, having loved his own, even though they had neglected him and would fail him, Jesus still loved them. A genuine servant is a person who is motivated by love for others, who loves so much that he becomes more concerned about the other's welfare than his own. That's what a true servant does. A true servant is not focused on themselves. And whenever you find somebody in ministry always talking about themselves and what they're not getting to do or, or what about me, what about me, it's, it's about me. I don't feel like I and I want to do this and I don't. When you find that, that person usually don't have a servant heart. But Jesus had a servant heart. He had compassion for a disciple. Second thing is, Jesus was motivated by his confidence in his mission. Amen. Jesus was self-assured, y'all. He knew exactly who he was and why he had come into this world. He had come to serve the world by being the savior, by being its savior, the world's savior, to give himself as a ransom for men. He came to pay a debt he did not owe. And, he, and we owed a debt that we couldn't pay. But I thank God that the master came to serve. And he gives, by way of example, what it means to serve. He gives, Jesus, this, this, this was a very humble demonstration that Jesus did. He, he did this on purpose, y'all. He did this to show the disciples that if you're going to carry on my work, you got to get out of your pride. If you're going to carry on my work, you got you to come down off of your high horse and be high horse, high horse, and be willing to serve one another. Everybody say serve. You got to be willing to serve one another because that is critically important, guys. I mean, we, we, we discovered that, 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 that God has so much for us to do. Love one another, accept one another, and certainly serve one another. Look at verse 5 of this of his 
of this uh, of, of this of this 13th chapter right quick. It's just, it says, and he poured water into the basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. This is an humble demonstration. Amen. Uh, you know, this, this, this was really, if you think about it, this was inconvenient for Jesus. Amen. You know, when we sat down at a meal, how many of y'all like, how many of you sit down at the table, you don't like to get back up and have to go get something else? How many of y'all sat down at the table and forgot your fork or your knife and had to get back up and go get it, right? When that food is laid out, you want to you go on and, can I get one witness up in here? You don't want anything to disrupt you when you sit at that, at that table, right? Especially if it's some good food coming your way. Now, if it's bad food, yeah, you're trying to figure out a reason why to get up, right? But when it's good food, come on. Jesus interrupted his meal to perform this menial task, guys. It, 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 was, it wasn't convenient for it was, it was also considered to be undignified in that culture, amen? He took off his outer garment, amen, bared his chest and his leg, knelt down on the floor, and began to wash 24 dirty feet. Amen. That's not very dignified for the most powerful man who ever walked the earth, right? So sometimes you got to be willing to be undignified. Have some undignified praise. Amen. Yeah, you here praising God. You may look ugly, your mascara may be running, but you praising your God. Amen. How many of y'all need to know that there comes a point in time we got to have some undignified service? Do some stuff that may it, that most people will say, "Well, I wouldn't have done that." Well, you're not you're not allowing the God to lead you because God will have you doing things that seem to be menial. But Amen, it is it is worth it to serve one another, Amen, to show the love of God. See, it was it was undignified. Not only that, but 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 it was you know it was kind of unsanitary to wash somebody's feet. Can I get a witness? I mean, some of y'all will wash hands, but you ain't doing feet right. Hello. In the words of Fred Sapp, when he told Grady, she, you know, she ain't doing no toes, Grady. No, well, she ain't dealing with your feet. But here he is, the master, foregoing all that. It was an humble and, 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 and very timely demonstration. But who's the one who jumped up and said, no, nah, you ain't going to wash my feet? That was Peter, right? The loud mouth, the self-righteous one. Amen. You, you know, no, no, master. No, 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 no. But Jesus told me, if I can't wash your feet, you ain't going to have no part in my kingdom. He said, well, wash me all over there, master. His self-righteousness wouldn't allow that to happen. Some of y'all in your own little way are self-righteous. Some of you in your own little way, when you need help, you're too proud to accept help. Can I come to somebody's house right now? Your little pride, amen, won't let you receive anything from anybody. But pastor, why are you saying like that? Because I I know about that because I was kind of that way. No, 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 that's all right. What pastor, the Lord told me to get, well, no, no, that's all right. Just, you know. Just go bless somebody else. Well, the Lord told you to bless me. And so here I am blocking your blessing by my pride for self. I want to see the hands of y'all, y'all who, you know, you've walked in pride before and said, you know what? I, I, I didn't I didn't feel right with somebody helping me or giving me something. Any of y'all living there before? And even there were times when you needed it. And even if you did need it, if God laid upon their heart, just learn how to say thank you. Because some people are sitting out here, don't want people to think they need anything. And your pride won't let you be served by anybody. You would have been just like Peter. No, Jesus, no, not me, no. Prideful self-righteousness can get you in just as much trouble as as what we consider a real moral failure. Pride is a moral failure too. 
We think the only sin is, is cussing, fussing, and committing adultery or sexual immorality. There's a whole lot of other sins that are just as deviant and just as ungodly as, as those other things that we're named there. And a lot of it's that inside stuff, those wounds that we hadn't dealt with that caused us not to be very relational. Are y'all with me today? Let me close this thing out real quick. So, Jesus gave us some challenging instruction. Let's close it out right quick. Number one, we said what? What's the first thing? Y'all have it on there? Come on, let's talk. The world yields to the proud, but God honors the humble. The world celebrates prideful men who lift themselves up, but God honors those who are humble. The Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives more grace to what? The humble, those who walk in humility. Don't, be a, don't become a prideful person. Don't become so stuck on yourself that you think you're the latest and the greatest. You got all wisdom and can't nothing happen unless you be there. Let me tell you something. You ain't nothing but just a, just a, a vapor. So don't walk in that kind of pride. There are people in the body of Christ who become so prideful because maybe their ministry is growing. Maybe, maybe uh, they got the biggest choir, they got the biggest church in town, they got the biggest budget, and they begin to think that it's all because of them. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So the world yields to the proud, but God honors the humble. Who you, who, who you want God to? Do you want God to honor you? Then you better humble yourself. That's the lesson that Jesus was teaching us. If you're going to serve other people, that's one of the reasons why God commands us to serve, because it deals with our pride. When you got to serve somebody else, whether you're serving them food, whether you're taking them clothes, whether you're giving them a ride, when you have to serve someone else, it gives a check on your pride. Because all of us, if we're not careful, if we left, if we are left alone long enough, all of us start walking in pride. And God bless us just a little bit. We begin to think that we are better than others. And baby, don't ever go down that road. Second thing, the world respects status, but God rewards what? Service. And that's why I always, I'm very cautious about you know, people trying to bring status from the world into the church. And because you got a certain position there, don't mean a thing in here other than the fact that if it's a skill set, we'll like to use a skill set. But we, 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 we ain't tripping about your title. I was uh, uh, got an opportunity to go. Uh, the, I'm on the board of directors of Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and we brought in Daryl Strawberry uh, to speak at our Founders Day banquet. And I was, uh, you know, um, and some of the brothers uh, came with us to that. To that. Uh, but we had a breakfast with them uh, prior to that, and then uh, uh, they had a little reception before that. And um, they um, brought around an autographed picture and an autographed baseball. Um, now, again, that's cool in this place. But me having a picture with Dale Strawberry, me having a, a picture with President Obama or President Trump or President Bush or, or anybody, okay, that's cool, but I don't get fascinated by that. Because that person is a man just like I am. And you got to know who you are in Christ Jesus. It's cool, nothing wrong with it, but I don't trip over that. Can I use that term? Do y'all millennials know what it means to trip? Huh? Okay. 
I, I don't because it, you know that person is, is just a person just like I am. And Jesus, Amen, in his in his infinite wisdom, showed us that we got to be willing to serve others. We can't get so high and think so much of ourselves that any task that needs to be done in ministry is too menial for us. Serve one another. The world respects status, but God rewards service. If I told you all that Bill Gates was going to be here tonight, some of y'all come back to the night service. Huh? If, if, if I told you uh, that, that, that uh, Chance the Rapper was going to be tonight. Who is that? Anybody? How many young people know who Chance the Rapper is? How many of you past 40 know who he is? Okay. I don't really know him. I just I kind of read about him a little bit. Okay. But if he was here tonight, we could probably fill his house. Huh? If the guy, if the African, if, if the African gentleman, African American business gentleman, the millionaire, billionaire, who, 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 I think he spoke at where was he spoke at, uh, uh, at, at Morehouse, and and, and said he's gonna pay off all their student loan debt. And if you knew he was coming to speak tonight, and your child's in school, got three and a half more years ago, and you don't get grant money. You're not so super rich you can pay for it by yourself and you're not so, so low on the economic scale that you can get a Pell Grant so you got to foot the bill. Come on. Now, if you knew he was coming and he's going to pick out 15 families to give a scholarship and pay for your child, how many of y'all be up in this place? Don't, don't, don't look at me like that. You'll be up in here, wouldn't you? I'll be on the front row. Be looking like this. See, the world respects status, but God rewards service. Do keep on serving what you're serving. Your, ma- your name may not ever get called, but keep doing what you're doing. Right where you are. It is not insignificant. Whatever you're doing for the Lord and you're doing it with the right spirit and right heart, God will reward that. And lastly, the world pursues happiness. But God promised blessedness. How many of y'all want the blessing of the Lord over your life? Learn how to serve one another and watch God move. Jesus gave us the perfect example. If we're going to serve one another, we got to be willing to come down off of this pedestal and be willing to stoop down and serve. He gave his life for us guys. To help us serve one another. Now you're not going to be able to serve very effectively until you deal with some wounds in your life. Whether it's a father wound, whether it's a mother wound. We're going to talk about the all alone wound. Issues that you got to, you got to know yourself and you got to be honest with yourself. You got to be self-aware. To, to be self-aware means that I, I'm not under any grandiose illusion about who I am. I know who I am. I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses. And I acknowledge those. And I need the Lord to help me live this life. Know who you are. And let God help change you. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. God bless you.